Well, good morning. We are grateful and thankful to the Lord that he has allowed us to gather yet again in this, play, in this place at this hour on this Lord's Day, free from persecution, um, unlike so many of our other brothers and sisters around the world, and I'm often reminded of the persecuted church um, in times like these, that the Lord has been extremely gracious to us um, to bless us in this particular way. It has been said that when the Word of God is open, it is literally as if God is opening His mouth. Henceforth, the Word of God is not just what God has said, but it has been said that the Word of God, the Bible, is what God is saying. And if your heart can agree with that, then I think it behooves us to sort of perk our ears up, kind of lean forward to see what the Lord has to say to us from his word. And it is my belief that as we take a fresh look at the old book this morning, the Lord has a word for us this morning. And so I want you to take your copy of God's word and stand to your feet as an outward sign to me and go with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 2. If you've been here, you know we have been preaching expositionally through the book of 1 John. And this morning, our text would be found in verses 7 through 14, but I particularly want to focus on verses 7 through 11 as the main crux of our message this morning. And a sermon title that I have chosen, Love, the True Evidence of Divine Fellowship. And seeing that you are standing, I trust that you have found your place. And the Word of God reads, starting at verse number 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. It says, but an old commandment that ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that ye have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing unto you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let us make our prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, God, we give you glory and praise for your love and your kindness that you're faithfully bestowing upon us undeservedly. God, you have woke us up this morning, clothed in our right minds with the activity of our limbs. Lord, we thank you for giving us safe travel, bringing us to this desired destination, and you have, by your grace, wrought many things in our midst thus far. Yet you have brought us to the most preeminent part of our service, that time that we will hear from your eternal counsel. And Lord, it is my prayer, first and foremost, that you would be with me, the preacher that I may preach as of the oracles of God. God, I pray that you would fix my heart and my mind firmly upon Christ, 
God, by your sovereign hand, God, would you guide my speech that which I speak would only that be which is rooted in the truth of who you are and the truth of thy word. God, I pray also for these, your people, who sit under the sound of my voice, God, that you would give them ears that they may hear, not just my voice sounding in their hearing, but they may hear your voice beyond my voice. And as a result of it, Lord God, be encouraged as believers to live more devoted and committed lives according to your will. Perhaps to another, it may be the gospel of Jesus Christ today that they hear and be irresistibly drawn to your immaculate beauty. Lord, we ask that you would do it for your own glory and it shall manifest for our joy because you do all things well. Have your way in our midst now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 1 John chapter number 2, verses 7 through 11, love the true evidence of divine fellowship. As we come to our text this morning, it is here where the Apostle John shines the light on this business of fellowship as it relates to one's claim of being in right relationship with God. As you know, the Apostle John is the author of five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, the three epistles of John, and the book of Revelation. Now it is in the Gospel of John that we might say the Apostle speaks of our past salvation, of which the basis of our relationship with God is established. In other words, it is there where the Apostle John drills down and thoroughly exposes it, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ from his eternal existence with the Father in heaven before the worlds began, all the way to his sinless incarnate life, all the way to his death and resurrection. In John chapter number 20, verses 31, John says it this way. He tells us for what purpose he has written to such an extent. He says, all of this has been written in order that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ and upon believing have your sins forgiven and consequently enter into right relationship with God, our past salvation. Well, it is in the book of Revelation uh, undoubtedly that he speaks concerning our future glorification, speaking of that time of which our future destiny will be fully consummated and finally realized. For he says in Revelation chapter number 7, verses 9 and 10, After this I look, and behold, a great multitude that no man can number, of every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That multitude that John saw in his vision indeed were the glorified saints who were redeemed and ransomed by Christ's blood and who were now finally and eternally in his presence clothed in his righteousness forevermore our future glorification. But it is here in the epistle of 1 John 
that John speaks not of our past salvation or our future glorification, but he speaks concerning our present sanctification, which has to do with our current condition as it relates to our ongoing fellowship with God. Now, the word fellowship in the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia, which denotes the idea of the shared life. And according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number one, Paul says that this shared life, this shared life that every true child of God has been privileged to be partakers of, he says that life is Christ. For he says very explicitly in verses number 21, for to me, he says, to live is Christ. However, to die, he says, is gain. Now note, 1 John was written not for the purpose of believing, but it was written to the believing, get this, for the purpose of validating and vindicating authentic and true belief. In other words, the apostle assumes belief and he assumes relationship with God. How do we know? Well, look at how he addresses his recipients of this letter. In verses number one, he addresses them as little children, which is better translated in the Greek as little born-again ones who have been born into God's eternal family. If you skip down to verse number seven, he addresses them as the beloved of God. The word beloved there is the Greek word agapitos, which is better translated as ones who are covenantally loved by the Father. This is the word that is used here in the Scripture only of Christians unified with God. This is family talk, if you will. This word here is descriptive in nature, and it is also restrictive in nature. Descriptive in the sense that it, describe, it describes status, and restrictive in the sense that it is only used in the New Testament of a particular group, namely born-again believers. Now, the truest indication and evidence of authentic relationship, no matter what sphere or what level we're talking, is real, fervent, ongoing, lasting fellowship. I'll say that again. It doesn't matter what sphere we're talking, the truest indication and evidence of authentic relationship is fervent, ongoing, lasting fellowship. And just like in the Gospel of John, he speaks of our past salvation, which is the basis of our relationship with God. In 1 John, he speaks of our present sanctification, get this, which is the basis of our ongoing fellowship with God. For he says in 1 John chapter number 5 verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. John is saying that we can know that our relationship, the relationship that you and I believe and profess to have with God is true and authentic. He says we can know, but we can only know on the basis of our fellowship with God and our fellowship with his people. But just like you with your parents, or if you are a parent, just like you with your children, it is true that we could be in relationship 
but not for a moment maybe be walking in fellowship. And so it is with us as children of God in our relationship with God. What are you saying, brother? Well, I'll use me and mine for an example. I have three beautiful children. My beautiful wife, Trinice, has blessed me with three amazing kids. And uh, I think this example serves best to use my middle child, Zayden. He's sitting back there, and he's probably going to start smiling in a minute. And that's my boy. That, that's my son. Y'all know what they say about the middle child. I'll leave that alone. But that's my boy. We are so much alike in so many ways. He has made me proud in so many regards. Just the other day, we was doing lunch at Chick-fil-A, and we walk in, and the lady says, oh, my God, that's got to be your son. He looks just like you. I said, well, wait a minute now. He, he ain't this quite good looking now. Hold on. He, he's close, but he ain't, you know. And, and that's my son. That's, that's my boy, and I love him with all my heart. And uh, the reality is there's nothing that can change that. He can move to the other side of the world. He can change his hair color. He can change his name. Nothing's going to change the fact that I'm his daddy, and that's my boy. Relationship. But God is my witness that that boy, in his 17 years of living, has done some things that has not affected our relationship necessarily, but, oh, Lord, it truly has affected our fellowship. So much to the point where it's been hard to even look at him. Not out of my hate for him, but out of my love for him, right? And we can all attest to that to some degree. One has to do with relationship, which is fixed and unmovable and unchangeable. However, the other one is sort of pedestrian. It, it is ongoing. It has this sort of day-to-day, deed-by-deed, decision-by-decision reality. And so it is with us who profess to know God and be in right relationship with God. To whatever degree you and I stop in that with God or continue in that with God has a direct effect not on our relationship with him if we are indeed his child, but it does have implications and effect on our fellowship with him and our fellowship with his people. Now, I went through all of that to lay a foundation because it's going to be critically important as it relates to the understanding of our text today. John now addresses this notion, this false notion, uh, which would later go on to become what we know to be as Gnosticism, which propagated this heresy. Listen, Gnosticism taught and believed that you could know God, truly love God, be in right relationship with God, and being assured in that, key phrase, assured in that, while at the same time not be walking in fellowship with God, not be in communion with Him, and as a style of life be living in open disobedience to His commandments. Sounds a lot like our day, right? And so with that as the backdrop and the foundation, now let me draw your attention to our text. John says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning, the old commandment 
he says, is the word that ye have heard. Now in verse number seven, John states that what he is speaking of is nothing new. And what he is getting at is what I might call the divine implications of the moral law of God. In other words, the idea of love is what God has always been hitting at and calling us to, even in the giving of the moral law of God as it is summed up in the Ten Commandments. In other words, this call to love is implied in the giving of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And even though John doesn't state it explicitly here that what he is talking about is the command to love, he does in 2 John chapter number 4, excuse me, chapter number 4, chapter number 2, verses 4 and 6, as it reads, I rejoice greatly to find some of you children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. He says, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, he says, but the one you have heard from the beginning, which is this, listen, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that ye should walk in it. Remember over there, Matthew chapter number 22, verse 36 through 40, when they asked Jesus, Lord, tell us what is the great commandment? He says, the great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I will also tell you the second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says, upon these two rests the entirety of the whole moral law of God. When you look at those two tablets of stone that Moses received off of the mount, that first tablet containing the four, first four commandments, having to do with our obligation to God. The second tablet having the last six, dealing with our obligation to our fellow man. What you will find there is, is that that was simply a call to love. For if I love God, I ain't going to have any other gods before him. I'm not going to take his name in vain. I'm not going to bow down to any graven image. If I love you, I'm not going to lie against you. I'm not going to murder you. I'm not going to try to steal your wife. And so you understand what Jesus is saying there, that if we fulfill the commandment of love, then we have fulfilled the law. You see, this is no new commandment. However, he goes on to say, but it is new in another sense. For he goes on to say in the B clause of verse number eight, excuse me, the A clause of verse number eight, he says, and at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Well, how so? In what sense is it new? Well, it is new in this regard. It is new in the regard of expression. All right, follow me. You see, in Greek culture, they had multiple words for the word translated new in our English Bible. For an example, they had the word naos, N-E-O-S, which has to do with newness, but newness as it relates to time, right? Or we might say uh, the latest model. So whether we could be talking about the latest iPhone that came out or the, 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 the latest model of the latest Cadillac that, you know, they put out. It, it has to do with time, chronology. But that is not the word that is used here in our text. Another word that they had for the word new in the Greek was kainos, 
which has to do with newness as it relates to quality, okay? It also means to be radically different. And this is the word that is used in our text. So what John is saying is that the command to love one another is not new in chronology relating to time, but it is new as it relates to character. Which is to say in another way, it is new in emphasis, it is new in example, and it is new in experience. In Christ, now, it takes on new meaning. The ante is upped, if you will. Let me give you a couple of proof texts that speaks to this notion. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 13, verse 34, write that down. The Scripture says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Watch this. Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, and you also love one another. First John, chapter number 3, verse 16, says it this way. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Before Christ came, John is saying, we didn't even know what love was, didn't, didn't know how it looked. We had no example of what love truly was. But God demonstrated love for us in the giving of his son, and Christ modeled love for us in his servant life, and most explicitly in his sacrificial Death. This is what John is saying. And he, saw it, he says, and as a result of the example that has been given to us, he has called us to love one another in like manner. In that John chapter 13 passage, that's the context by which it is there where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Here it is, the Lord of glory, God in human flesh, the Bible says that when he knew that the time was drawing near where he would now have to go to Calvary and leave and go back to the Father, the Bible says he loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. And in one of his last natural acts before he went to Calvary to demonstrate his love for them, he takes a towel and wraps it around his loins and he kneels down. We're talking about the Lord of glory and begins to wash his disciples' dirty feet. Peter, not understanding what is happening, Peter says, wait a minute, Lord, you, you can't wash my feet. He says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have no part in me. Did Peter say, Lord, we didn't wash my head, my arms, everything. He said, no, calm down. You, you're clean. You need not be clean in that way, but I, but I must wash your feet. The Lord abases himself, a posture of humility, and he washes their filthy feet. And he does so, and then he tells them, in like manner, love one another. Hallelujah. So in the B clause of verse number eight, he goes on now to say, because the darkness is passing away, however, he says the true light is now shining. Now, this word darkness is a very pivotal word in our text this morning, and I want to say a couple of things about it. Number one, darkness is being spoken of here in contrast to what he has already said regarding light in chapter number one. If you remember in chapter number one, 
If you don't remember, write this down. Go back and look at it in your personal time. In chapter number one, verses five through seven, it says, as we read, this is the message, he says, we have heard from the beginning and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, John says, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleanses us. Now, when he says that God is light, essentially what John is saying is, is that God is holy, God is righteous, and God is true. In other words, there is no sin in God, there is no unrighteousness in God, God doesn't look at a thing and deem it good and this, and as a result of it then makes a decision to act in such a way. No, whatever he does is right and good because that's who he is and he cannot deny himself. So when God, John says that God is light, he's speaking of the fact that God is holy, that he is righteous, and that he is true. And well, if that is what he means when he's speaking of God being light, then when he speaks of darkness, it would rest assured that he's speaking of sin and evil and error. But number two, darkness also is being spoken of here in relation to this Gnostic heresy that threatened the health of Christ's church. You see, Gnosticism affirmed that God was indeed real. But they said that he was so far out there, he was so distant and far removed from creation that it was impossible of, first of all, knowing him. It was impossible to know his will and what he expects of us. And it was impossible to even close that distance. And so John pushes back against this false notion. And John says, no, 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 you, 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 you lying to me. God can be known, hallelujah. And as a matter of fact, he has made himself known. His will and what he expects of us has been put on display. How do we know? Because we have touched him and we have handled him. It has been revealed to us in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Gnosticism even had a name for God, the unknown silent one. But John says, no, he has spoken. He has revealed himself. And he has done so in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since Jesus' incarnate sinless life, John is saying, since his death on Calvary's cross, since his burial in a barred tomb and resurrection on the third day and ascension on high, John says in the latter portion of verse number eight, since then, the true light has been shining and the darkness is passing away. That's a good place to say hallelujah. Are y'all out there this morning? Amen. Now in verses 9 through 11, notice, uh, he goes on to say, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, he says is still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother and abides in the light, he says, and, excuse me, loves his brother 
abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother, he says, is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, when John speaks of hate here, it is the Greek word maseo. Now, when we see the word hate, many of us, for many of us, it doesn't even, it, it doesn't even compute. Because what we often do is default to the extreme of cases. All right, listen to me closely. For an example, we often think about Hitler, right, in, in the way that Hitler hated the Jews, or the Ku Klux Klan in the way that, you know, they, they hated black people. And we, we go to the extreme of cases. And because we can look at ourselves and say, well, that's, that's not me. We read words like this, despite the fact this is in the New Testament and is written to believers, we read it and, and it doesn't even compute to us. But the question is, is that what John is talking about? Now, I must say that we, 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 we need to talk about those extreme cases because currently and throughout church history, there have been many people who have professed to know God, love God, and be in re relationship with God, while at the same time hold to a hatred for other people and propagate that hate as it relates to their influence. So we must need talk about those extreme cases, but is that what John is talking about here? Well, I believe that what John is doing here is propounding this truth that love is to be the distinguishing marker for every true child of God. You see, hate, contextually here in our text, has to do, get this, with the expression of want of sympathy and empathy. I'll say that again. Hate here in our context deals with a want of sympathy and empathy. One theologian puts it this way, where sympathy does not exist, he says, hatred is inevitable. You see, we think the opposite of love is hate in the extreme cases. And it is. But hate many times, biblically speaking, it looks like selfishness. You remember what Jesus says over there in 1 John, or excuse me, what John says over there in 1 John chapter number 3, verse 17, he says, Whosoever hath this world's goods and sees his brother have need, yet shuts up his bowels of compassion, he asks a question, how be it that the love of God abides in you? You know, we think of love in our Western context as, you know, February 14th, Cupid with an arrow and a bow and a heart and fuzzy feelings. No, 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 no. In biblical day and in Greek culture, they spoke of love as it related to the bowels, the deepest, most centermost part of a person's being. That place in you, you can't quite locate. And so therefore, the closest thing that you can relate it to is that it's, it's in my bowels, being moved there. That's what love is. And that's what John is getting at here. Many times, hate looks like indifference and apathy. 
certain people and their plight, it, it, it don't even register. It don't even register with, with us. We see it and it, it, it communicates nothing. It moves us in no regard. Total apathy and indifference. You know, my Nana, y'all hear me talk about being raised in my grandmother's and grandfather's house. You know, a lot of those older people, they had a lot of wisdom. And my Nana would tell me, you know, son, good morning or good evening is, is due to a dog. Now, some of y'all know what that means when I say that, right? She's talking about being decent and having respect for people, right? This is the love that we're talking about amongst God's people. But for some of us, and I'm speaking not to you, but to us, there's some people we don't even speak to. Now, there's other people we will jump hurdles and push past and claw behind folks to get to to make sure we speak and acknowledge those folks, and we dare not come into their presence and not acknowledge them. Why? You know why? Because we love them. But to our shame, there are others that they don't even register. We turn down the hallway to avoid having to confront them. We, we look down when we see them coming. We see them coming and we, we walk away. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to us. Oh, but that's your brother and sister that God says you've been called to lay your life down for, but we won't even speak to them. We'll push past to make sure we hug and embrace some folks. You know why? Because that's a, a natural gesture of true love and empathy. But we pull away from other folks. Hey, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a lie. Now, we can find ways to justify it in our mind and this and that, but the word is clear. This is what the word says about love. This is what Paul says. Love's, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is sacrificial. It's sensitive. It's warm. It's tender. It's thoughtful, and it's affectionate. And when you think about love in that way, you know that to be true. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, then why should you be commended for that? For even the sinners do that. You see, this call to love is not to be measured against those who love you or those who can advance your cause or those of the higher echelon of the world who you get some kind of benefit of being in close proximity with those folks. This call to love is to be measured against the least of these. First, starting in the household of God. For he's called us to be good and to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And guess what, people? If we're ever going to be what God has called us to be to those out there, you know where the training ground and the breeding ground is? It's inside of here. Well, let's pull up there. In my closing, let me, let me leave you with a couple of thoughts and application. Fellowship, true fellowship, First John says, 
is birthed out of relationship. However, real and authentic relationship is evidenced by ongoing fellowship. I love the way Pastor Doug said it on last week. He said, keeping God's commandment is not a condition of knowing God, right? For nobody gets saved by keeping commandments, right? We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it this way, keeping God's commandments is not a condition of knowing God, but it is the evidence of knowing him and being in fellowship with him. Let us walk in the light, and to do so, we must walk in love, for God is love. Let us examine ourselves in the light of God's word, and if we discover that there is sin that needs to be repented of, may God grant us grace, helping us not to be mere hearers of his word only, but to be faithful and obedient doers. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word, this opportunity you've granted us, God, to take a fresh look at the old book, O oh God. And Lord, your word comes to us not to entertain us, but to change us. And God, I pray in Christ's name, Lord, if the word of God being applied into our hearts and our lives by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the only one that can take your word and take his divine fingerprint and, and put it on that area of in our lives that we need to do business with. If, God, if that is the case with us today, God, would you grant us grace that we might repent? God, what you're after in us, oh God, is Christ's likeness. Your word is clear that this world will know that we are truly yours, not because we're reformed, not because we go to Bull Street Baptist Church or we do a lot of stuff, but because we reflect you, who is a God of love, and we manifest that love in tangible and real ways. God, help us. Do this for your glory, O oh God. For your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.